Welcome to the Educator's Blueprint Podcast. Thank you for joining us as we engage in meaningful conversations on topics currently impacting our school systems, behavior, and instructional practices. From the classroom to the boardroom, we welcome you to unpack, reflect, and learn with us. Now here's your hosts. If we were to think about the way you're approaching MTSS and Liberty, how does special education fit into that? Yeah, that's a great question. And it's been central to our um, development from day one. So nothing I have done with MTSS has been on my own. It has always been in collaboration with our special education department. And that is in part because one of the goals that we have besides in and of itself, if you're doing any kind of MTSS framework, it's just to provide interventions to kids as soon as they show us they need it. Obviously, that's one goal. But another goal that we have in our district is to move towards MTSS um, as in a way to find kids eligible for special education. So moving away from the discrepancy model, if we can. So um, I can't do this work without input from special education because I need to know what they need, what data they need. Um, as schools are implementing interventions and tracking those and, and documenting those, it would be helpful if they ended up at the referral point having exactly everything our special education team would ask for. Mm-hmm. So at every step along the way, special education has given feedback and said, this is great. This is totally in line with us. Or instead of, a, you know, one of the things we just talked about last week, if I can give an example, um, in our um, inside of our data tracking system, when you enter interventions and you pick what you're going to do for progress monitoring, you can pick like a quantitative way of doing it. So you can have one that's like, oh, they know five sight words. We're working towards 25 sight words, and then we're going to monitor it every week. But you can also do notes only. And we've been finding that a lot of teachers are choosing notes only. The challenge is our special ed team loves numbers. So they love seeing the graphs. And so one of the messages I've been telling our schools is, when you get to that progress monitoring page and you're determining what you're going to use as a tool, if there is a quantitative number based way you can measure it, always default to that. And then some, it's just, we don't have one. So of course, notes are okay. Um, we'll take that over nothing for sure. That's great. But our special education department, they're all based in numbers. It's all about you know, looking at students from more of that data perspective. And so that is what they're looking for. And so again, just being responsive to that department at every step in our journey has been really important so that we're empowering, again, empowering our schools to, as they're doing the work, create it in a way that speaks to another department that they might be referring to down the line. So that's a great example. Thanks for taking the time to share that. That makes it real because people can relate that. We're coming from two different fields and two different paradigms and how do we align and set them up for success? It kind of leads into Jamie's next question. Yeah. So going back to whole building, whole district, can you talk a little bit about um, how you've used data to make decisions? Yeah. So um, lots and lots of ways. And again, when you talk about, I know I've been talking about a lot about MTSS in general, but that's kind of how our district is approaching it. So we're trying to move away from isolated academics, isolated behavior and SEL, but one whole system that yeah. covers all of it. Um, so when we talk about data, I mean, that's expansive. I mean, it's it's so much, which is partly why we needed to have a data information system mm-hmm. that was user-friendly. So again, one of the things I'll just point out again that we did, if you, if you 
listeners out there, if you don't have an effective, efficient data management system, that's a great place to start. Um, because if teachers can't have easily accessible data, then it's really hard to plan interventions. It's really hard to identify kids that even need interventions. So good place to start. So I'll give another example. So I've been talking, I've given some academic and behavior ones. Um, our district right now has a really strong focus on sense of belonging. Mm. And the reason why is because our, we looked at our, through Panorama, we also are able to do um, surveys with our students, social emotional learning surveys with our students and teachers three times a year. And when we have looked at some of that data longitudinally, um, we noticed that our elementary students have a pretty high sense of belonging, especially when you compare like um, to other districts nationwide, um, they stay relatively high. But then as soon as they get to sixth grade, those numbers drop a bit and kind of maintain and hover at a lower point um, and even compare nationally a lot lower than our elementary students. And so, um, First of all, that is one data piece that we use. So through those surveys, we were able to identify that sense of belonging is something that we need to take a closer look at. Yeah. But survey data only gets you so far. So we then, um, because our secondary students are the ones that are kind of telling us they're having a harder time with that, um, we went, we created um, a group of us, went out to all of our secondary schools, so all of our middles and all of our high schools, and did focus groups with students. And we essentially asked them, you know, how what could what could we do better to enhance your sense of belonging what are the things that make you have a sense a strong sense of belonging do you have some teachers that do it better what are they doing just asking those questions just directly from our students so survey data was one piece and then we followed it up with that qu that qualitative piece of hearing directly from our students of what is it that we could do to get better at that and then we as a group it was it felt like a dissertation it really did <laughs> pulling all of that data together and then summarizing like what are those things and common themes that we heard um, from our students that we could do to enhance um, sense of belonging? So anyway, it's it's been um, quite a journey. We're still on it. It's definitely a work in progress. But I think when we talk about data, it's hard to even talk about because there's so many different buckets. I mean, even within our data information system, we have attendance, we have all of their demographic data, we have um, all of their um, academic data. So they're screening data for reading and math. We have, if they have supplemental screeners that we've done because they're at risk, we have that information. We have all of their grades. We have um, all of their discipline information. So if they've had behavioral um, incidents, that's all in the same system. We have all their SEL survey data. So again, like any one piece of that can be the key to helping a student right. be but then you also have to look at, so you have to, as we talk about in PBS and, P and MTSS, you have to be having school-wide, class-wide, content-wide, grade-level-wide conversations about what we can do to lift like a rising tide lifts all boats. But then at the same time, you have to be looking at who are the kids that need extra instruction and what could be those various keys to that student's success. So just because they're struggling in reading doesn't necessarily mean reading is the thing that is only contributing to their struggles in reading. Mm -hmm. So it could be attendance. It might be, you know, their their grit, their level of grit is really low. And so when things get hard, they don't push through. So having an information system that you can look at all those pieces together is really helpful. And I think yeah. we're just at a place right now of just trying to help schools understand and see how to do that because it is it's complicated. Um, mm -hmm. and it it takes time. So. Yeah. 
I think this is such a rich example of the data, the value of the data we get is only as good as the questions we ask. And if I do anything well in my time in education is to impress upon the importance of identifying sense of belonging across all kids. That has been just the heart of why we even do school, right? <laughs> I, and another time, cause I know we're nearing the end. Um, I would love to hear what you learned from those middle and high school students. Well, I think we need to hear one quick thing. Okay. That's yeah. super, that was okay, my good. question. Did they <laughs> tell us we should what be doing that we're not doing? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I can give you a quick one that I heard in all of the groups that I was a part of every single group this came up. So if that's a helpful little tidbit, students said that teachers that took the time to get to know them on a personal level and showed themselves at a personal level. So a teacher that talks about their dog and I mean, again, I'm not digging into super personal stuff here, but just stuff like, oh, you know, my son, I'm not going to believe what he did today. Or, oh my gosh, the dog, like the rain yesterday, it was awful. I mean, just things like that, like taking time out of class um, to learn about them and to be vulnerable about themselves. The kids said they learned more content wise in those classes when the teachers got to know them and, and mm -hmm. they got to know the teacher. And so, um, I mean, one student even gave this example of, my teacher in math, I mean, it was a math class of all things, will stop right in the middle when she thinks of like a funny story and we'll mm -hmm. all stop and like hear her funny story and then we'll all get right back to work. So again, just taking a couple minutes to share those things. Kids like being there. And when kids like being places, then they're more open, their mind is more open for learning. So mm -hmm. it seems simple, but um, it was a pretty powerful thing to hear over and over and over again with our middle schoolers and high schoolers. That's wonderful. So you kind of just gave us an example of what does it look like to partner with students and youth. You kind of did that. Are there any other agencies you partner with around MTSS that you think you want to highlight? Yeah. So I think, um, well, there's lots of agencies, but one good example I think that I can talk about is our county. So in Missouri, um, our each county has the option to put up for a vote with their citizens, a children's services fund. Mm -hmm. So our county has one. We're super, super grateful for it. And what that does is it provides um, mental health, social, emotional learning um, support for the youth in our county from zero to 18. I think it's 18. It might be 19. Anyway, for the youth, basically um, all of the youth in our county, um, each county gets to set up their fund differently. And our county um, does half agency-based grants and half school-based grants. So we have a fairly large, and we have since my first year here, so back in 2018, grant to specifically work on mental health and social emotional learning in our district. So in order to do that, we are partnered with a lot of community agencies. So Tri-County Mental Health, um, Synergy Services, a lot of, um, they provide, we have, an, we have therapists, ex, an extra therapist who all they do is provide actual therapy in our schools. Um, every one of our schools has one for at least one day a week, if not up to three days a week. Um, our elementary schools have resiliency specialists that are provided. Um, we do in-home services. So we have in-home case management, in-home therapy. Um, we also offer in-home wellness services, which is actually with an occupational therapist. And she goes in and helps with routine, which was super important during the pandemic when kids were learning at home. And just a whole wide variety of other things. We have behavioral support. So we do an intense intervention, a tier three intervention. 
with kids in our elementary grades. Um, it's a six to 10 week intervention um, that can lead to a special ed referral if the student is not making progress. Anyway, so we are so fortunate that we are just wrapped around with all kinds of um, other types of professionals in our schools that especially, again, I know I've talked about the pandemic a lot, um, but at a time when we feel like mental health is really, um, it was always a strong need, but it has really accelerated over the last couple of years. Our kids are just really in need of extra support mm -hmm. in ways educators haven't been trained. And so mm -hmm. being able to have, you know, licensed clinical social workers, a partner with us um, to have um, occupational therapists who help with home and routine help us. It's just been really super valuable for our community. And I would suspect with your big background and knowledge, a lot of what you do um, for our listeners might align to the integrated systems framework because we have a new one up on pbs.org. So I'm thinking you do a lot of that stuff naturally, but that might be a place they go to kind of get. So how do we start doing these things in partnership at the school level with our MTSS framework? So we'll link that in our show notes as well. Great. So we're going to round the corner home. Final question, although I don't want this to end. Given your vast experience and your dynamic leadership, if you could make a recommendation or give some advice to listeners, knowing that they're coming from all perspectives, roles, and parts of this journey, what would you say to them? There's lots of things. And I think I've probably said this already, but it's, I think it bears repeating that just meet people where they are. Small steps are best. We don't have to mandate and drive things down people's throats um, in order to make progress. Um, we can meet people mm -hmm. right where they are, support them. I was just at a school yesterday. Um, I was, I was there all day. It was an elementary school and I was just showing them about our framework and then teaching them about panorama. I was on my part of my road show. So I did all of their team meetings and I felt like every team walked away. There was nothing that was mandated and every team walked away with something different that I felt like they got excited about. So one team has been working on social emotional learning and they've been doing lessons with that. And I taught them about a little check-ins tool like a progress monitor for social emotional learning that they can do every week. It's really easy. It's already baked into the platform that we already have. They got super excited about that um, to tie it into the work they're already doing. And so again, that's how the work starts to spread is that people naturally get excited about what's happening and then they spread it. So they are motivated to do it. They go back to their classroom and the classroom next door goes, what's that cool thing your kids are working on? Or what is that neat thing that you're doing with your students? Um, I think, and I've said this again a lot, but COVID has made it even more clear that trying to push people into doing things is not going to work. You have to take things at a pace that your people are comfortable with. People are getting burnt out faster than ever, and our people are our greatest asset. And so if we're not taking care of them, um, we're going to lose them. And so especially when we're trying to think in innovative ways, we have to do it in a way that allows them to do it in a way that they can feel accomplished and feel good about. And that's how we're going to make the progress over time. Meet people where they are, small steps, and just trust that I think just being excited myself a little bit about the work is contagious. So I think just mm -hmm. coming in, even when people are feeling down with a smile and um, a big bag of snacks. I have yeah. <laughs> That's what Elisa's strategies always I bring them everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Don't yeah. call me Little Red Riding Hood because my bathroom is red. 
Your uh, basket's cuter time, than mine. <laughs> well, every time I leave the district office, I take like people laugh at me. I take it with me and they're like, where do you get all these snacks? I'm like, there's high V. I just stop at IV and load up on all the snacks. Um, and it's amazing what that will do. I love that. Well, you're connecting as a human first. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And just honoring the fact that like an Oreo cookie sometimes makes the day better, right? Like a piece <laughs> of can turn the day around. And if I can, if I can provide that little spark for a teacher to go back and, and tackle whatever tough stuff is going on. I mean, a bag of snacks is the least I can do. We are just extensions of the little humans we serve. We? <laughs> exactly. And, and that's the thing is I do have to, like the kids have started to see the snack too, the snack basket. And they're oh, like, yes. got in there. I'm like, this is for teachers. Yeah. I would I love to share the snack love with you. It's, it's for a different audience today. That's the hard part. I walk in with mine and I have to hide it under the teacher's desk, right? Oh, yeah. The kids are looking all the time. I do think the other thing I heard in your example is that you are listening and meeting their needs. So you have this wealth of information that your district's building this framework and you're listening for a place to start with those you serve. And how can this better meet your need right now for for working with the children? And so I think that's another thing we can take away is. Teachers don't have time to do things that don't have an impact. Absolutely. So if you can filter through that and a snack gets us all to the table. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. I'm here for the snacks. Always here. (laughs) Well, wish we were closer. We would be digging in the basket right now. Absolutely. There's gluten-free ones in there too. You best believe. You best believe. I serve everybody. So. (laughs) Thanks so much for taking the time to talk with us. I think this is so exciting. It might even turn into a two-parter. So we appreciate you. All right. Well, thank you. So good to see you both. Well, that was fun. So fun. Yes. What's your big call to actions or takeaways from listening to Jess? Oh my gosh. First of all, I am so proud of her. I'm so proud to call her a cousin and a colleague in the field. And she she's just stepping into her gifts and doing what she was called to do. I sent her education runs deep in your family. It didn't mean to you off, but it sure <laughs> does a lot of your relatives in the field, mom, <laughs> your mom, everybody. It's definitely in the blood. So I first want to say, enjoyed listening to her as a leader in the work. She provided, in my opinion, very clear, accessible steps in a way that is um, partnering and systematic with all levels of implementation. So classroom all the way to the boardroom, I can see her engaged in truly partnering conversations. Two of the things that spoke to my heart were that theme of meeting people where they are. So she talked about, there's no mandates. I'm going to bring the evidence of best practices I'm going to offer. And then you decide, you know, the context, the how and the when. Um, So meeting them where they are and just that idea of their big why is creating that sense of belonging. So everything they do aligns back to or recreating and cultivating a space where everyone, Mm -hmm. you know, staff, students, families have a sense of belonging in our schools and our district. So those were, those were two things that just warmed my heart to hear. How about you? Well, I agree. I think it was practice. She offered us practical 
doable next steps. And I think we often, Jamie, you and I, when we're in the field and working with districts, often get the question, well, how do I get started? What does mm -hmm. that even look like? And I think she gave a perfect example of how they approached it. Mm -hmm. And her approach was strategic in that she started off with just an audit of what what what's really happening? What's what's our what's happening where and in what schools? So she sat, listened, and learned. And I think that's mm -hmm. a great way to start. Mm -hmm. Secondly, is she organized the data and developed a data management system in a way in which she could start to make sense of what's happening, and that we could all begin to look at our work together as one sort of unit of analysis. So that was the second thing she did, and then she looked at the district strategic plan. And MTSS was part of it. So that link to, well, this is going to be here for a while. So let's build a clear path and take our time to do it well. And I thought it was super interesting how they started with the middle and high schools. Mm -hmm. She didn't start easy. She started where maybe the need was. I don't know. We didn't get to ask her that question. But I think that's a powerful approach she yeah. used to get MTSS as a system across their district to and build she, that sense of belonging that you talked about. Yeah. They just keep working the plan mm -hmm. they put in front of them. I think she's a great example. If anybody had a chance to listen to Dr. Sagai last week, I think she's a great example of her looking for evidence and owning her work. Mm -hmm. I also love that she has a snack bag. She takes with her everywhere <laughs> she goes. Yes. <laughs> yes. She knows what we need in the education, yeah. right? A little bit of tender and loving care. So until next time, thanks for listening. Please subscribe to the Educators Blueprint podcast. Go back and listen to previous session, previous episodes, and maybe even session one. Stay with us along this journey. We'll be getting more regularly back up to weekly downloads of new um, and exciting guests. Please share with friends and colleagues. We want to get this podcast out to more people in the spirit of we share the work, share what we're learning. If you have any ideas for a series or any topics or any guests that you recommend, feel free to contact us. You can contact us at the Educators Blueprint, uh, tweet us at EDUC Blueprint, and then check out our show notes. We can't wait to have you join us next week. Until then, we invite you to take some time for tea and remember to take care of yourself and others. Thanks for listening. Educators Blueprint Podcast team would like to say thanks to our guests today in addition to our music composer, Austin Gross, our graphic designer, Evan Courtney from Creative Courtney, the MU Center team for school-wide positive behavior supports, and me, Grace Linguffy, your MC. Thanks again for listening. Blueprint. 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 Okay, try it again. Uh, take three. It's actually take four, Mom. Okay, go. <laughs>
<sighs> okay. I love you. Mwah. <laughs>